0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean
1: Kennedy. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, a lot better than Team USA. Uh, I'll say that much. Um, apparently, FIBA referees don't don't go for the contact fouls the same way the NBA refs do. So, But uh, the NBA Finals uh, was... A lot of fun. Game four, we saw the Giannis block, which will go down as one of the best defensive plays in finals history. Um, So yeah, that was that was our first close game of the series, and now that's tied up at two, and we got a best of three for the title. So exciting stuff. Yeah, I I
0: honestly wasn't going to plan to talk about Game four of the finals, but I mean, yeah, we probably should. Like, I mean, Giannis. Like, I, I remember some people were throwing out some stuff like, how much different are Giannis and Ben? Like. (laughs) <laughs> uh, comparisons and I'm um, uh, watch this finals and tell me they're anything alike in terms of like how good they are like Giannis does still have a legit ar- argument as best player on earth right now and if you watch him play like I mean you said at that block he he was defending a lob being thrown from the opposite elbow and just turned around and blocked the lob anyways so I don't really know what to do with that <laughs> he's been nothing short of transcendent this whole series two weeks removed from like, what we thought was maybe a season-ending knee injury, and honestly, considering how well the Bucs played in game two also, but the Suns just made a lot of shots, like, I mean, I think the Bucs can definitely win this series, both teams, now it's kind of been evened out with, unfortunately, Dario going down, that the, it was just pretty clear the Suns don't have Aiden out there, they have nothing to stop the Bucs inside, and just, I mean, it's kind of like an all-out war on there, and just proof again that, like, after the first two games, you should never say a series is over. Or say, "Oh, this series sucks," which I mean, it clearly doesn't. It's a very good series.
1: Which now we have three games left to see who wins the finals. Yeah, um, I, I mean, we all knew that the Dario injury would loom large once yes. once it happened. Um, but yeah, Frank Frank Kaminsky is not not the answer to any question you want to be asking when you're in the finals. Um, so, but yeah, uh, it's going to be exciting going forward. I'm sure. Phoenix will have some counters and they'll be back at home and that it's going to be up up to them to, you know, take care of business at home. Um, That's they had the better record all, all season. That's what you work towards. And so far, both teams have held serve on home court. We'll see if that continues, but yeah, it's been great. This, this series. And I, I, I wrote about this a little bit in my, my kind of game four preview on the site, but it's just a, a little weird that everyone was doing the worst finals ever thing for a 2-1 series at the time like clearly neither team was overmatched by the other they just didn't happen to both have their A games on the same night um i would qualify worst finals ever for series like lebron's first finals when that's I, that's exactly yeah.
0: i tweeted quote tweeted like <laughs> the, the 2 the 2007 finals are a thing that exists like i mean That's like honestly one of LeBron's most impressive things is that he took that Cleveland team to the finals,
1: but they just got like run over by the Spurs in four games. Yeah, exactly. Like there was no, it was, it was cool to see a young LeBron like starting to come into his powers and everything, but there was no real drama about who was going to win that series. And, you know, you look back at like the Lakers sweeping the nets back in the day and um a couple of those other Lakers series weren't very competitive either. I mean, we all loved the, the Iverson game one win, but after that, it was, we don't talk about what happened. (laughs) (laughs) The season ended there. (laughs) Exactly. Like, so, I mean, this is a two, two series now and they, they seem fairly evenly matched. Um, So I'll take that over seeing people just roll over a clearly undermatched team like we've seen in past years. So yeah, just enjoy it folks. It's, it's really entertaining basketball right now.
0: Yeah. Well, today we're not going to be talking about the basketball that's happening right now, but we're going to talk about your 76ers through a mailbag, which we've had a post on the Liberty Baller site that Sean got up asking you for questions. Also send it out on Twitter and we got some good responses. Thank you to all who did respond. Um, We're going to start with this one from, Our good friend Dan Volpone, also a Liberty Baller staffer, how much string pulling do you think Embiid will be doing this offseason, whether it's pressuring the front office or recruiting stars and trying to get them to ask for a trade and include the Sixers on their list?
1: Sean, what do you think of that first one? I don't don't think he's going to be doing anything overtly. He's never been a big recruiter, at least that, that becomes public. So I don't think there's going to be anything we necessarily hear about. Now, is he going to be having Facetime conversations with Daryl and saying like, "Hey, I need, I need some more help. Like, you got to go out there and this is my prime. Let's not waste it." Um, to that something to that extent, I, I'm sure those conversations are being had. But I, I expect with with Joel, all that stuff is being done privately. He's for as much like social media. Acumen as people credit to him, like he's never taken that into the the recruiting circles aspect of it. Um he, he's always been pretty understated when it comes to those things. So I don't I don't think it'll ever be anything we we really hear about.
0: Yeah, we're in lockstep on this one. That's never been Embiid's MO to like say, I need this guy, or I mean, at least to our best knowledge, to say we need make this move Uh, i think and i think we both agree that's like more that he'll pressure them to be active to or at least not to say like hey let's run it back no changes like i have a feeling he would not be thrilled with that just like i mean it's like to say say after that disastrous 2020 season al horford was still on the roster like i'm pretty sure mb would have been upset i don't know if he would have outright said we need to make this move to the front office but I do think yeah. he, he generally just wants them to show they're engaged because, like you said, like he loves the city of Philadelphia. He has shown no indication that he wants to leave here. He very much wants to be a guy who wins a title here. So I would say, in terms of recruiting guys, like that is not something I really expect as much from Embiid. And I'm even trying to think, because like, honestly, if you think about stars Embiid has a really good relationship with, is the first one that pops in your head Steph Curry? Because I know him and Steph are pretty close, or at least seem they seem pretty cordial. Went off the court with each
1: other. Yeah, and that would be the Under Armour connection, right? Yeah, exactly. So,
0: so they, they... they seem like they seem like this. I'm trying to think because there are some other ones where you're like, even before Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both went to the Nets, like it was clear for years they were very good friends through Team USA and all that stuff, like. It's like it wasn't that much of a logical leap to say, oh, these two guys want to play with each other. And I'm just trying to think, who else out there do you see like, oh, him and Embiid clearly like each other and clearly want to be with each other.
1: Um, The very dark one where it'd be leaves silly is maybe him and Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that- I, I, I forgot to mention the only time he ever had anything on social media was the when he posted the thing on Instagram. And Jimmy commented about knowing where villains were welcome. And uh, Joel said... Like yeah, you're right. Um, that was the only time he he ever gave us any sort of indication. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think Jimmy's leaving Miami anytime soon. So yeah, obviously they are good friends. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little different for Joel because he's not like a Team USA guy, obviously. So he's never been in those training camps or. Where, where those guys all get together and, and talk about that kind of stuff and, and those relationships get built um yeah Seth Seth's the only i I'm sorry it is actually Steph we're talking about um, yeah, just have, have just both, exactly have both of them we, <laughs> yeah, have, have Seth and Joel go over together right um but yeah just, Ste- just, like for, and... just like for a
0: second imagine how much fun it would be having both especially in Philadelphia but on any team having both of the Curry brothers on the same team in your backcourt like yeah, your defense is not going to be great and there's not some problems it's like overdoing but just like the amount of shooting
1: you have there phew, is so good. Yeah, I mean that it 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 kind of be like uh Steph and Clay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh I they they are the the one or Steph's the one guy that Joel has any kind of like real connection with just because of the under armor thing. But uh yeah, I don't. I don't expect Steph to really leave. I, I I feel like he wants at least one more season to see with clayback back what they can do. Um, so I don't really put a lot of credence into any Steph wants out rumors or anything. I I f- I feel like he, he wants one more uh, Splash Brothers run before that really becomes a conversation. Yeah, and
0: honestly, just I would overall bet he Steph. Probably he seems like a guy who re- very much wants to stay in Golden State as long as he can, especially. He's, yeah. I mean, he's not young. He's like in his mid thirties by this point, but, uh, moving on to our second question, what are the chances that Ben Simmons gets traded if the consensus is that a hot dog is a sandwich from underscore second round pick on Liberty Ballers. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, first of all, most importantly, a hot dog is not a sandwich and I'm very staunch in
1: this take. Do you have any disagreements? <laughs> I, I don't consider it a sandwich I, if you, if you want to call it if you want to consider it as a sandwich because you feel like technically it meets the criteria that's fine but if you're ever having a conversation with someone and they ask for a sandwich and you hand them a hot dog th- there, there'd, there'd be problems right there, there there'd there be an issue so it, it's clearly not a sandwich in the way okay. that in the way that we consider things a sandwich like so if think, if, think about, if, it about it like this like
0: when you're having a sandwich, like, you have very specific, like, you can use slices of bread, or some people use hamburger buns. And I think hamburgers are a different thing. Like, I think a hamburger counts as a sandwich. Because you then use yeah. like deli meat to, if you have hamburger buns, you can use deli meat to make sandwiches for that. But a hot dog, you're not serving that with any kind of bun. You're not using hamburger buns that, you're not using slices of bread, that would be disgusting. A hot dog has a hot dog bun, and it's very specifically only for a hot dog. It's, like, its own separate thing. Like, and I think that's the big key, is that, if you're specifically designing the bun to hold it in a different way that makes it a different thing from a sandwich whereas like something like the stuff we usually associate with most normal sandwiches and something like hamburger it's like the same you can kind of use the same type of bread the same type of buns with it but hot dog has a very specific design that makes it not a sandwich
1: yeah a hamburger bun i would consider still a sandwich because you can have a pulled pork sandwich on, on yeah. that kind of roll. You can have a sloppy Joe, which I would consider a sandwich. Like there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Um, yeah. Hot, hot dog. I feel like it's a different thing, but I'm not, I'm not going to argue with someone if they're a staunch hot dog. <laughs> um, so, so is this like a two-part question? Like, yeah, no. The, the first one, that, <laughs> the first part of the question was what, if, what are the
0: chances Ben Simmons gets traded? I'm guessing was like, considering this, this is a big disagreement. It's that how Philly fans like, you know, not everyone wants Ben Simmons traded. It's pretty much two camps. Either Ben has to be gone at all costs or we're not trading Ben. He's great. Um, I would say if we're saying like percentage wise, the chances Ben gets traded, I would say it's more likely than less. And I might be too close to the situation, obviously covering the Sixers and being a fan of the team, like, my usual opinion when all these rumors come out is like, Oh, it's probably not happening. It's just rumors for the sake of rumors. You know, I tend to, I, I, it's like generally my thing is I tend to lean on the more, like i not, I was about to say less optimistic, the more what I call down to earth a the realistic, but usually the less exciting option is where I lean, the less, like <laughs> less moves that happen. But I, it just really seems like after three straight postseasons of Ben Simmons, just really being bad. Especially in their exiting series, that I don't know how they're gonna get over, especially just like if they're thinking about right now. I mean, the only argument I would say right now is that like waiting to like mid-season where maybe his value has surged back up again. Because I mean, that would be the big argument. It's like, yeah, this is a guy who at the start of the year it was, can you trade Ben for James Harden and just a few picks, like straight up? But now it's like, you know, is you're, you're getting much. We've dropped down a few tiers in terms of the stars, but or not even maybe stars that Ben could be traded for. Now it's like, yeah, are just asking for a few role players. Like, there, what I could hear the argument about, like not trading him at least right now, just because they don't want to sell low. But I still think, like, I mean, especially like if you're talking about his whole career, like I am hundred percent sure Ben's probably not finishing his career in a Sixers jersey. Like he will have other jerseys on at some point, and yes. <laughs> I think at other. Other years, like I, yeah, if you did like an over under, like I don't know, half a, say half a season, Ben plays with the Sixers, I'd probably say he's gonna get traded before that.
1: Yeah, I would say about seventy five percent chance he gets traded before the season. Wow, there's there's just way too much smoke, um, and the the Joel, Tobias and Seth all seeing Ben pass up the open dunk. I'll, I'll have their hands in the air. Yeah, like, I don't know how they could just, like, mentally come back in the season and be like, all right, yeah, we we still believe in this guy. Let's let's roll. Like, we're, we're going to war with this group again. Like, we're not going to shake things up at all. I feel like that's not happening. Um, I, I'd say there's, like, also a 15% chance he gets traded by the deadline because, to your point, his value is the lowest it's ever been right now. So... Daryl might want to recoup some value by having Kim go out there and play games that don't involve him uh, declining to dunk on Trey Young um, and and maybe build his value up a little bit. But I feel like the overwhelming likelihood is that he's gone by the start of the season. If if the NBA wants to do the Sixers a solid,
0: like right before the trade deadline, they'll schedule them like back-to-back games against the Kings – you no know, transition defense they're like the worst transition defense team of all time this past year just have been running for fast break dunks over and over again like yeah. just skyrocket that value
1: as much as possible but <laughs> a back-to-back uh, against utah so Ben can get more 40 point games yeah no and like you said the teammates especially like probably the three most
0: important teammates at least at the moment for the sixers and toby joel and seth um Like, I know that they've all been defending Ben publicly, like, especially, like, Seth and Danny the past few weeks. I would say to those, like, people are taking a lot of stock in those. Like, what else do you expect them to say? Like, he's currently on their team, and they were his teammates, and they seem to not hate him, at least as a person anyway. So, of course, they're going to defend him. You're never going to come out – unless you really have a legit problem with someone, like, as a person – if you're their teammate on a professional basketball team, you are not going to come out publicly and say, I do not like this guy. Get him off the team. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it's not going Seth, to happen. Seth was, Seth was bringing his uh, his console in to play video games with Ben in the locker room before games. Like, they're obviously cool. Like, you're not just going to turn on a guy after that, publicly at least. So, yeah. They're, I mean, Joel basically saying that, that was kind of the turning point like we we had two points and we only ended up getting one I think that was as close as he's going to get to like knocking it's on them it still wasn't as bad as though like um I
0: don't know if you remember right after the Rockets lost the Warriors in 2019 that was a second round series that ended in six James Harden and the press are saying I know what needs to happen I'm not going to say it but I know what needs to happen clearly referencing like that he wanted them to trade Chris Paul which yeah. you know uh you know, if maybe freezing cold takes could dig that one up, um, to, uh, like um, yeah, just I don't think it was like at that level. And I do not remember people pointing out how Joel was like he was talking about a lot of things throughout that, like that one was kind of pulled like in the middle of a long answer about be going through like basically everything that happened in the fourth that was went wrong down the stretch, which didn't just include Ben Simmons plays. So I'm like, I'm still agreeing with you that like, yeah, it obviously, show that Joel probably wasn't pleased with that, but it wasn't like outright Joel saying like please send ben simmons
1: elsewhere no it wasn't like i I just don't think he's going to be that much of a dick and i don't think that i think he likes ben enough i mean they're not best friends but i think they're cool with each other so i don't think he's gonna outright like lay into him and like bring him down publicly so i think that was as much as he was willing to do and the fact that he even said that much i think just spoke to how frustrated he was with the
0: situation You're not going to believe it, but our next question is also about Ben Simmons. (laughs) I mean, shocker of the century, but uh, why? uh, This is a long one, too, and this is from Mo Dog with two Gs on Liberty Ballers. Uh, Thank you for the question. Quote, why is there so much hate on Ben? Everyone knows he played horrendous those last three to four games, but the hate with Ben has gone extremely overboard. Why is it so personal? Is it because of his general demeanor and how he is with the media? I am positive if he trolled like the old Embiid, everyone would be talking about Tobias or Doc and less on Ben. And is this really a case where the fan base may be making the team worse because of the ignorance of watching the game? I mean, did people think he was going to get in the games and all of a sudden average five threes a game? I just can't figure out why the hate is so deep in this situation to where there's so much illogical talk about bringing in average talent and all of a sudden the team will magically become better than the number one seed. I completely get the Dame talk on top of other t- top talent guys. But when you hear all the CJ McCollum for Ben and things like that, it just seems like the fan base has not watched many games. A lot to digest there. Um, <laughs> do you want
1: to go first or should I go first? So I can stop So it, it wasn't just three or four games with Ben. Right. <laughs> it was – it seems like you reach a certain stage in postseason basketball, where his inability slash I don't know how to phrase it like his he cut he just like shrinks in the moment of offensively and I I don't know if it's a combination of him not wanting to get fouled and get his his weakness at the free throw line exploited I don't know if it's just he doesn't have confidence in his ability to create for himself against high level competition in the, in the biggest of moments but we we've seen you know multiple years now where it, there's just a significant drop off and if you're a team that you have title aspirations these are the things that become the difference between being a pretty good team and a team that can legitimately win the title so I think we have enough evidence at this point that Ben is just not going to get it done and not only, like you're paying him to be a guy that can get it done. So like you can only have so many guys making max level money. And if one of them is just going to be such a liability for you offensively, like, I don't think that's something that can really work for you long-term. If you're, if you're a team that, legitimately thinks you have a shot to win the title going into the season I I think that's what like yeah people don't like his personality for certain things and but I think essentially that's what it boils down to
0: yeah I think that was an interesting point about how Ben kind of being like I don't know if I guess reserved or just like he doesn't like broadcast a lot a lot about himself publicly at least in terms of how he thinks of himself as a like you said, he doesn't seem like he's talking. Like when you hear about Ben off the court, it's usually like, um, what is it? He has that video game. Uh, I I don't play enough video games to understand it, but I'm pretty sure he's like with one of those video game. I don't want to say sponsorships. Uh, clans maybe. I I I'm 20 and I should really know. He, more he about plays him.
1: war. He plays Call of Duty Wars. He plays Call of Duty Warzone a lot. I think that's the current yeah. one he plays a lot. Yeah,
0: you hear about him in video games. You hear about him like I don't know. Like, not like necessarily he's has a partying problem or something like that, but he's a a guy with like other interests in that sense and he also like I do think it's partially because he doesn't seem like he like it was like the question when he was asked after the game like about how like maybe he failed like he had oh but I had all these assists and I helped like shut Trey Young down like kind of that idea like get it not willing to understand like hey you have to just like admit your flaws here like I mean, trying to think of guys in the past, like Embiid was, of course, always criticized about the lack of conditioning and how that would hurt him in the playoffs. And you know what Embiid did this past year? He came back and it was in really good shape. Like Embiid stopped wearing down. I've, I don't like, I think his injuries were very much like just, I mean, th- this injury sucked. It was like very much something that couldn't be stopped. He just landed at wrong, the wrong time, but he did not seem to wear down throughout the season or throughout multiple games where, where, I mean, like, would you agree with that that Embiid seemed, like, in better condition this year? And obviously, like, I think the other big fans, Embiid went from, like, a good, like, okay shooter to, like, an awesome shooter, but yeah.
1: Oh, of course. And I think the fact that he was still able to play at such a high level while playing on a torn meniscus spoke to how good his conditioning was. Like, if he was in the shape he had been before, there's no way he would have been able to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. And another thing I
0: wanted to touch on here, because they were saying, like, I get it, when because, like, the question mentions, I get it if this was a trade for, like, Damian Lillard, but then you go to CJ McCollum for Ben, what is that about? I think this is one of the most frustrating things about the whole Ben Simmons saga is that, yeah, he's not good enough to any more, like, headline a trade for Damian Lillard, but he also still feels too good to be traded for a guy like CJ McCollum, who you kind of feel like, yeah, fine, but I don't think he's really making us that much better and that's kind of like the very tough limbo they're in right now where you like there doesn't seem to be any perfect fit where it's like that's just a it doesn't feel like there's any guy they can get in return for Ben who justifies it enough if that makes right. sense which is like the curse of playing so poorly in the playoffs and lowering your value like that at least towards the Sixers They they just are now kind of stuck like we either have to attach way too many assets and like leave our cupboard bare or we're selling low and it just doesn't feel right either way. And then like the thing though, is you might still have to do with Ben anyways, because I, I mean, this is another reason why just, I think some people love him so much but then the other people like just can't stand them at times is that Ben does help you in the regular season, even partially because he doesn't shoot because yes, he would probably miss a lot of the shots. And that does, like, losing those possessions hurts and, like, having bad shooters on your team during a regular season taking a lot of shots can hurt your team throughout. But the unwillingness to shoot come playoff time, like, even if you're a bad shooter, if you're still willing to shoot, you can still generate occasional closeouts, have a defense bend a little bit toward you. And Ben just being completely unwilling to shoot at, like, almost any area on the floor, especially in those big games, I mean, the defense just completely collapses in on you. And you can't have that happen. Like, even a guy like who's obviously a better shooter, but a poor shooter and Jimmy Butler, like, yeah, Jimmy being willing to shoot though from like different areas on the court and like it just forces defenses to then rotate. I mean, I don't know if that comparison made total sense, but just at some point you have to accept maybe even like like I, I've been thinking about this too, like the Sixers as the Bucks from previous years, where they had this whole system throughout the regular season that worked really well. They stuck to all the things they did well and they were great in the regular season. But a lack of versatility, a lack of adjustments throughout the regular season that they experimented with came back to kill them in the playoffs because they could play basically one way, and that one way was not enough to beat the Hawks. And because they just – they could not adjust. Like, you know, or like if you remember the Sixers series, I mean the second-round series against the Hawks, the Hawks' big adjustment was, oh, if Ben's not going to hurt us with his offense like at all, we can get a way of playing a lineup that's like Trey, Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, John Collins, Clint Capella and match the Sixers' size, but also have more shooting and playmaking. And they did. And it's part of the reason they won. And the Sixers like need to figure out ways to adjust more, maybe accept not winning as many games or winning as often as they did this past season, if it means more playoff success. And I think Ben can be an impediment due to that with just how inadjustable he feels.
1: <laughs> A lot to digest there. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely think, the unwillingness to shoot is another big part of it. When he made he made that three against the Knicks, and then Brett had the we want to see one three a game from him, and then he didn't attempt one for months, or 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 he might he might have like a week or two later attempted another one, but then shortly thereafter he went months without taking one, and and people see him doing it in warmups before every game, so there's this discrepancy like hey we saw you working on it all summer every year and you do the the, your trainer does the social media drops and everyone does the eye emojis and so clearly you're working on it being part of a game we see you working on it in warmups and practices and wherever else but yet it's been years and you still won't do it like what's up with that it's a very confusing frustrating situation and people are just over it at this point um so yeah i think that's that's definitely another big part of it and the lack of production in high level postseason games is another big part of it and um i think ultimately that this team just it didn't work out and when when stuff doesn't work out and you don't beat an Atlanta team that you really should beat, then something big has to be done. And the something big, the only like real feasible path to shaking this roster up is to trade Ben Simmons. So I I feel like it's kind of inevitable. And that's even just taking a, like an impartial logical view of like how NBA roster construction works. Like if they want to do a shakeup, it has to be Ben. So I, I don't it, it doesn't even have to be like a we hate Ben situation for for that to be the in, inevitable conclusion
0: yeah and I just wanted to because this is like the root of the question like I do think like in terms of actual like hate on Ben it does go a little too far like people saying he's a coward or that he doesn't care about losing like I would very much doubt those things like I think Ben very much wants to win I, I mean you, you watch him like just watch him then on the other end of the floor and how hard he runs all over the place on defense. That dude cares. I think it's a very weird problem as you and AU tried to correctly outline to me, he is a very weird player uh, that it's not so easy to understand. I think it's okay to be very frustrated with him and want him to be traded from your team. It's a different thing to hate the guy as a person just because like very, a good rule of thumb is if a guy, if a guy's biggest crime against you is that him struggling with things that on the basketball court make you hate him as a person, that probably shouldn't be the case. You can be frustrated with Ben. You probably shouldn't hate him. I'll just leave it up on that. Um, let's go to the next question. Uh, similar kind of like, I mean, a lot of these questions are involving Ben Simmons the rest of the way. Uh, this one's a little bit different. Um, can the puzzle of finding a closer be solved by committee? And, this, and he gives his opinion after this. Um, no, there's a serious lack of creators out there we need a creator big time, someone great at creating their own shot, or a wizard point guard like the old Rondo or Tony Parker that can maneuver in the paint and find the open man of regularity. This might be the next step max can take. It's like watching the same two plays out there being run over and over again out there for the last two minutes of every game. This is from Red Rump on Liberty Ballers. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, so in terms of finding a closer, can it be solved by committee?
1: And he believes no. Uh, Sean, what do you have to say? I think it can be. Um, I think you need multiple good options. And I feel like if the Sixers get to the point where their offense is functional enough that MB doesn't have to do the heavy lifting all game, and he's not exhausted by the fourth quarter from carrying such a heavy load that he can be a big part of that equation late in games, Um, Tobias can, fill in here and there like you can run stuff for seth to get him open like we just saw him play a big role in late game offense uh this past postseason um yeah i used to say paul reed can't be the closer (laughs) well paul paul reed would have you believe that the 2k223 cover will feature him so obviously he will have taken a big step forward in that in that area um yeah it's like but yeah you need they, they need just more more guys that can do it if if they're going a committee approach. Like like Milwaukee is in, in the finals right now and yeah, they don't have a yeah, traditional I just, closer. I was just
0: about to suggest <laughs> Milwaukee as like an archetype for that because you look at Milwaukee <laughs> and how they quote unquote close the past few games. And I mean, it's going to be a little overrated because honestly, like the best way to close is just by winning, by having the lead and being better than the other team. But if you look at the Bucks like you have a guy who's the all time like downhill pressure threat in Giannis another guy who offers downhill pressure plus passing drew holiday spacer and Pat Connaughton. Then they can alternate between Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez for size and some shooting. And then guy in Chris Middleton, who's like the, I think if you ask most people who's Milwaukee's closer, they would lean to him. And yeah, Chris does take the off the dribble shot, tough shots that they need. Like those very hard shots that when a defense plays a great possession down the stretch, he can still make them, but yeah, it's more just like Milwaukee's just really good. And now this team that they have now, they have a lot of different options. I think it goes back to what I was saying about versatility. Like it's kind of what the Sixers could use. And just like, you need to have different uh, tra- crap. I'm trying to think like what the right term is. Like you need to have a lot of different kinds of arrows in your quiver where no matter what the other team throws at you, you kind of have a different kind of response. Cause there are just multiple, no teams are the exact same. It is, As much as people want to say, oh, the NBA is kind of like a homogenous homogenous league where every team's doing the same thing. Like, no, there's a lot of the results can be the same, but I think there's a lot of different processes that go into them and you kind of have to adjust to them. And I think that the Sixers, again, seem like a team of very much one set style of play. And once teams kind of figure out a way around that, it kind of ran them into some problems. Um, And if you're looking for like more parallels between them and Milwaukee, like I would say Tobias Harris is very much similar to Middleton, but just does not have the same level of handling or like quick release. I think he's just, he's a little bit, they play similar styles. I just think Middleton's a little bit better at most things, which I mean, it's unfortunate here, but I think it's the truth. And if you're talking about Giannis versus Embiid, I mean, we can debate if they, who's the better player. Embiid certainly the better regular season. Giannis has made a case for himself in the postseason as being like just such a transcendent player. But I think one thing that helps them down the stretch is that as great as Embiid is and how much that jump shot helps, The fact that Giannis can handle the ball out top and kind of run, pick, and rolls from the top of the key really helps just that, like, you do not have to throw it into him in the post. He can just get the action started himself with his handle being where it's at, and that really helps. But, yeah, I would say that it's not necessarily they need a closer. I think it still goes back to, like, and I think it's mentioned in his response to uh, Red Rump, that is, that um, it's like watching the same two plays out there over and over again. Like, yeah, the Sixers need to have – different kinds of things to throw them not just we we love option a but you have to just be willing to fail with option b a few times so that maybe when you go to option b if the other team completely takes away option a you're okay with it
1: yep it it's it's like in mockingjay where they give katniss the regular arrows but also the explosive arrows and the incendiary arrows just you need you need more in the quiver like you said
0: yeah and he touched on Tyrese Maxey there. Like, um, I definitely think Maxey will be able to take on a bigger role. And I do like Maxey's passing, which is one of the reason I like – I mean, he's not like a fantastic passer, but I think he can make some a little more advanced reads than most Sixers players, which is something they desperately need for a team that for probably the better portion of a decade has been a below-average passing team. Very frustrating. But Maxey's ability to handle and, like, still see the court is pretty nice. I would say he's definitely not. If you're thinking he could be the closer, I, which I don't think is implied in the question, but like if someone's saying, oh, Maxi can take over the offense down the stretch, the problem there is just that I don't think Maxi's off the dribble shot is at the point yet where you can consistently rely on that. I wouldn't say it's impossible for it to get there, but I would bet on it being, especially next season, less likely he's fully developed into an off the dribble shooter who can threaten defenses like that. But I do think like Maxi has a place in closing lineups,
1: especially it could be as early as next year. Yeah, they, I mean, they tried that in the postseason, and it, it just showed how poorly everything else was going, where they're like, hey, yeah. this rookie who was hardly in the rotation by the end of the season, like, suddenly we're trying him as our, like, fourth quarter create offense option. Like, and it it worked one game, but it, that was about it, and that's not, that's not Tyrese's fault, because you shouldn't expect a rookie who – wasn't really receiving a receiving minutes to suddenly be the guy to pull your fat out of the fire. But uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely could grow and uh, assume more of that role going forward, or it could be him uh, bring Dame Lillard and as part of a package and then Dame could be the guy. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next one. Um, this is a
0: trade offer. Hi, Daniel and Sean. What do you think about this potential trade? Ben Simmons for Kevin Love, Colin Sexton and the third overall pick in the draft of the Sixers taking Jalen Suggs, who becomes a starting point guard. And they have Sexton and Kevin Love come off the bench from DVDNW 1995 on Liberty Ballers. Um, so I'm, I like, I mean, that's a trade that's been thrown around a lot because the Cavs seemed, and especially Colin Sexton, too. He's a Benson, and he's the other guy has been rumored in a lot of trades mainly because it seems like the most likely picks at three and four are Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs, who are both guards out of college. And considering the Cavs have already struggled trying to get away with playing two undersized, offensively slanted guards throughout their last few years, it feels weird to add a third one. And considering how much potential Garland showed the second half of the season, they might lean into trading Sexton, especially before having to give him an extension. Um, I kind of like this trade, at least because I like getting the third overall pick because it is a good draft. And just that's a lot of value there. Um, I think I don't think of Kevin Love as much more than, I mean, like obviously he's more than this as a person, but in this trade, his like main purpose is to fill salary. And I don't think Kevin Love is very good anymore. Like if you watch him in the team USA, it's very questionable why he's playing. Cause he just has <laughs> not
1: very questionable.
0: <laughs> um, But yeah, I, Colin Sexton, that's not my favorite player, but I do think he has some value to the Sixers due to his shot making. And then, I probably wouldn't take Jalen Suggs by the Sixers, assuming the Rockets take Evan Mobley, which is an assumption at this point, which I don't think it should be, but I think it's an assumption. If Jalen Green is there, I think him him with the Sixers would be very interesting because if you're looking for the sell on Jalen Green, he's like, there's like athletes and then there's like hyper athletes and he's in that second category where the way he explodes off the ground is insane and just you maybe like his thing is like you don't want him to be the primary, but like a guy attacking second side actions. Like say, say M B gets double on a post-up, the ball swings around and like it gets to the, after like two passes at, at Jalen Green at the top of the arc on the other side, like he'll, if someone closes out on him, he will dust them and just obliterate the rim. And that's very enticing. And also like a pretty solid jump shot. Like I don't think he's knocked down, but it's very like, like I would expect like in the NBA, like he could be like a 36 point, 36% three point shooter on like somewhat like difficult shots. Like he can shoot off the dribble. His space creation is insane with his athleticism. Just, I think that's the guy like, if you could get that for Ben Simmons, the guy who I think potentially just could really juice your offense in the situations in terms of advantage creation from like just how, how bursty he is with his handle. Like that would be very enticing to me. Like, I have nothing against Jalen Suggs. I just don't know if he's the right fit for the Sixers.
1: Yeah, it's it's not the worst deal. I think it's it's very fair from a value perspective. My 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 only concern is I don't think anyone you get at three is really going to help you get you over the hump this year, upcoming. And the Sixers are in a very much win now mood because mm-hmm. you know Joel's window of being in his prime and you know how big men age in terms of injuries and with his injury history and everything. You're trying to maximize every every season in the present right now, if you're Philadelphia. But yeah, it, it does does help you in, in a few different areas. Like Sexton is a guy that is excellent at creating his own shot. And that's obviously a huge weakness in the Sixers roster. So he would be a, a huge help in that area. Um, Kevin Love is very much washed. Don't, don't get it twisted, but he's definitely better than the Mike Scott backup four option last year that the Sixers were throwing out there. So yeah, he's in there for first and foremost, salary matching purposes, but his, he he would definitely have a role on the roster that would be a net positive from what the Sixers were rolling with last year. Um, And then, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to get a guy at number three in, in a good draft like this. Um, so I think that'll definitely help the franchise long-term, uh, whether whoever they decided to, to get would be, uh, a, a huge contributor, you know, right away, especially in a, in a post environment that that's hard to say, and that's hard to put on any, any rookie. Um, so I don't know if it's really the, the best way they could go about flipping, flipping Ben. Um, but If it was September and there wasn't a better offer on the table I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if if yeah like I
0: think this is one where you don't like just hang up the phone right away you think about this one for a little bit um and I agree with what you said about just I mean the general rule of thumb is most rookies are bad like just objectively bad they they show great signs of improvement but most there are very few like Embiid coming off of two years of injury and steps into his year as a quote-unquote rookie in the NBA and, like, lights the league on fire for 30 games. Like, that is a very rare occurrence and something that you can't expect. Uh, also, just thinking, like, with that third third pick, like, say that the Rockets took Jalen Green, the Sixers could go with Evan Mobley, and just, they could do Evan Mobley, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Matisse, Theibel. Like, who cares about offense? Like, try and score. Just, just try and score. But, um, like, that, I mean, that's just, like, that's just when you get into, like, big brain scenarios. Um, there's another trade offer here, like, in our questions. Uh, this is from, I want to say, Arch Neem is how you would say it. Uh, A-R-C-H-N-E-M-E on Liberty Ballers. Um, Another Cavs-Sixers trade scenario. Colin Sexton, Larry Nance Jr., Torian Prince, and two future first-round picks, probably top five or top eight protected for Ben Simmons. Would you say yes or no? And says, quote, you will be committing to signing Sexton to a supermax extent. I wouldn't say supermax, like, a." Sizable extension, however, he says supermax. I don't think Sexton will qualify for that, but like sizable extension at only two and he is only 22 years old. Um, I'm less enthused about that trade just because, like you said, already they need to add value as not like they need to add value pretty quickly to their current team given MB is 27 and this is a prime and you don't want to waste it. And picks down the road don't interest me as much. I really like Larry Nance. He's very good, but he's basically just like an awesome backup center, which is great, but not like the biggest need in the world. Colin Sexton, like we said, just I think Colin Sexton probably makes you worse during the regular season for Bensons, especially trading a lot of their places straight up. But he do, I do think like he could offer them some juice in the spots they need. Um, I and I mean Torian Prince is just like a below average wing at this point, like fine. He can play off the bench, but that's about it. Um I, I would say no to this one pretty quickly. Uh, sorry, just doesn't... Uh, if I'm not getting that pick right now, the top and the number three overall pick in this draft, I'm just not as interested.
1: Yeah, it's... I, I actually like Nance a lot. Um, he's good. He's very yeah. good. I just don't think he's for the Sixers. Yeah, he's he, he actually flashed some interesting passing ability last season, and he, he's a very good defender. Um, but yeah, I don't think him plus Sexton, I don't think that makes you a better team for the upcoming season mm-hmm. than, than having Ben. So I don't I don't, I don't, think that's a deal you do. Finally, we'll finish up with
0: some non-Ben Simmons questions. Uh, this one from our good friend Dave Early here at Liberty Ballers. Uh, chances the Sixers keep or sign and trade Danny Green versus the chance that he walks? Um, I would say that there's a pretty good chance they keep Danny Green considering him walking doesn't really open up a ton of financial flexibility for this team given like they're already paying so many guys so much money. And just even if the defense obviously slipped, like his value as a crazy volume shooter is just so good. And I mean, again, we saw like, yeah, he's not what he used to be defensively, but they still could use him against guys like Kevin Herter throughout the rest of that Hawks series. Uh, I would say as long as like he doesn't get like word of some other team offering him a ridiculously overpriced contract of like near what his last one was, like 15 to 20 million a year. And it's more like in the range of, Five to ten million a year, some just somewhere in that range. I
1: would say it's a pretty good chance they bring him back. Oh, I don't, I don't think he's going to get that small contract. I think, I think he's definitely going to be in like the twelve to fifteen million range. Okay,
0: twelve to fifteen. I, yeah, I'm okay with that. There, I'm just saying it should not be. If you start to get in over like fifteen million a
1: year, I could see the Sixers talking themselves out of it. That's a lot to pay for Danny Green. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't think he's going to get that much. But we talked about this on a previous pod how they're given their their current cap situation all you're talking about really is like luxury tax money to to bring him back um it's not like mm-hmm. getting rid of him would open up cap space for you or anything yeah. so and to
0: go back to like our first question like if there's one thing that could upset you all with saying hey for this team that we want to win a title we're not going to pay as much luxury tax money solely yeah. because we don't want to pay it even if it would make the team better like
1: and, I doubt and, that he gets used right and and two, you know there's a lot of things people like to bring up in terms of, you know, Josh Harrison and the front office, which I feel most are justified, but the one thing positive is that they have said we're willing to pay for a winner and they, they've always opened the purse up in, in these situations. So be, the, the only, the only interesting thing when we're discussing Danny Green is, you know, his recent comments, which became very much controversial regarding the fans not supporting Ben and whatever else, which we don't have to go into, but I'll just say that I felt that it was almost a lock. Danny was coming back prior, prior to those comments. And I felt like the Sixers are still going to do everything they get, can to bring it back because financially it's just no, there's no real downside against it. And he's still a very helpful player. We saw, how much it hurt when he went out and wasn't available for the Atlanta series, um, the end the the end part of the Atlanta series, um, so it, it would definitely behoove them to 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 bring him back, um, but now, given there was some blowback from Danny's comments and you know, a guy that lo- absolutely loves it here, I don't think says that kind of stuff, so is he not going to want to return? Like that's the only thing that would hold me back from saying like it's a it's a lock that it returns now. Um I think the Sixers are gonna do everything they can to bring him back. Um, but maybe it ends up being like D- Danny really doesn't want to come back. So maybe it ends up being a sign-in trade where the Sixers Daryl says, Well, we gotta get we 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 gotta do something to retain some value here because just letting Danny walk for nothing is is a borderline disastrous scenario. Yeah. Um, so it, it might end up being like a sign in trade, but I, I think he's still more likely than not to come back. Um, I would have said that before those comments, I was going, I was going to say like ninety five percent chance Danny was back. Now I'd probably put it at like seventy percent, um, with like a twenty percent chance of a sign and trade. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I do think Danny will be back, but I've tempered my expectations after that whole brouhaha over his interviews. Yeah, I I don't think Danny doesn't like it in Philly I think like honestly
0: I think just his comments came off differently than he probably thought they would to Sixers fans or just very prideful and again I think like I don't take too much into that besides just like defending your teammate which I mean that's just what a lot of guys at this level do um we got one last question here any indication that Joel needs to clean up his knee what's the long-term prognosis Kawhi just had ACL surgery from Maverick underscore eagle on Liberty Ballers. Um, I, I don't think like there's anything specific we can know about what Embiid's needs. I would guess it's just going to get cleaned up a, lo- a little bit. Like, if a time if there, if there is any kind of procedure, it'll just be like something small, um, nothing major. Like, I think the big difference is like the Clippers desperately needed Kawhi down the stretch, and they probably could have made the finals if a healthy Kawhi was they probably would have beat the Suns if a healthy Kawhi was playing. We'll never know for sure, but that's definitely a possibility. And he didn't play in any of those games, which I think tells you the severity of his injury. And it seems like they knew it was torn; they just wanted to maybe keep the Suns off guard, I guess. But Embiid, like playing in the entire Hawks series, and also I remember, like I think it was the right, Ricky Sanchez, like Mike Levin said, he got. I think anybody said got told to him by someone like if that had been a game seven against the Wizards, Embiid would have played. It was just like they figured like we can probably still beat this team in game five. It's not worth risking it for Embiid at this point. So I would say I'm not too worried about that. I mean, more just the general, I mean, more of the things just where me is Embiid's general health. Cause I mean, it's the big guy who's had a lot of injuries on his lower body in general, but I am not specifically seeing this one knee injury and thinking, Oh boy, this, this could be a problem.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I am not a doctor, uh, so I don't, and we don't know. We don't have a look at his MRIs or anything. And other than knowing what was reported that it was a partially torn meniscus, we we can't really speculate. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely not something I'm worried about long term. Uh, will he have some sort of procedure done? Maybe, uh, maybe they decide it is the best course for him to have minor surgery and get it fixed, or maybe they just decide it. Is a small enough tear that, with uh, rest and rehabilitation, it will heal on its own. Um, obviously, that's the preferred course. You never want to go under the knife if you don't have to. But uh, yeah, I will leave that for the doctors who are actually looking at his knee to to decide and determine. Um, but yeah, either, either whatever happens, I'm not I'm not worried about the situation with his knee. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we got. I thank you to everyone who submitted
0: ones. Um... We did not get any non-basketball ones, but we did want to talk. I'm going to force you all to listen to this if you want. And this is a spoiler alert. If you have not watched this show, we're going to talk about Loki for a little bit because I know we have both watched it, and I wanted to talk about it with Sean for a little bit. If you have watched the show and enjoy hearing people talk about it, that's just going to be the next few minutes. Um, So, Sean, you you just watched the sixth episode of Loki, correct? I did, yes. So, ah, I don't know if like, the best way to start is like – Again, last spoiler alert. If you do <laughs> don't want spoilers for the Loki show on Disney Plus, uh, please, like, uh, you can stop listening here. Maybe save it, go binge all six episodes, and then come back. But uh, yeah, so um, I mean, it was an interesting finale. It was definitely less action packed than I thought it was going to be.
1: Given, yeah, like, I I, I, it... I liked that. Um, mm-hmm. I I think the the main knock on Wandavision, I think there were two. It was it was one for people that didn't have the like the 50s 60s Bewitched, i love lucy like background if they hadn't seen those shows before the first couple episodes were very weird i had and no they, idea what was, was going on the first episode of wandavision yeah. immediately i was completely lost <laughs> yeah exactly so if you didn't have that that like entertainment tentpole to see like oh they're parodying this and they're doing like an outstanding job of it then you were ju- you were just like this is really slow like what's going on um I think that was one knock, but that but then it ramped up in episodes three and four, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, this is really cool now." And by the time they're doing like the Malcolm in the Middle stuff that and Modern Family that everyone was very familiar with at this point, then then it really was like, "Wow, this is such an innovative tactic." Um, I think that was one thing, but the other was like, "Oh, the finale is just like more CGI battling in the sky. Like that doesn't really fit the tone of what this this series was going for." Um, I think that was kind of the main criticism of Wandavision. So for for Loki to go in a different direction, where it was just letting Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror um, just like talk in a room, um, I think that was a great choice, and I think it it kind of harkens back to when Game of Thrones was like peak Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, they had the awesome battles, but I think. a lot of people liked about the show was that some of the best episodes were just like people talking in a room and like really witty insightful dialogue and you had like Tyrion and um Tywin like giving these great speeches and all that kind of stuff was what a lot of people found most interesting about the show and I think this this kind of was in the same vein of that um and you got a guy like an Emmy-nominated actor like Jonathan Majors who just steps in and like crushes it. Um, I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I mean, you're so
0: invested by getting to that point, wanting to because you like they that does a great show does a great job of you two wanting to try and figure out what Loki and Sylvie are after. Like, you're invested, you want to know almost as bad as they do, and to have them have to go through that where it's like such a they you kind of feel confused as they do, like what's going on exactly here. What do I need to know? What's the right move? And then kind of like, it almost turns into like a philosophical debate between the two about what they're supposed to do here. And maybe that, because it feels like letting him go is wrong, but it's like also what happens if he doesn't, all that kind of stuff. And I just like, I mean, I was just really invested in it the whole time. I, I definitely enjoyed the ending too. Um, I mean, I'm probably a sucker for re- relationships in most shows. So I just enjoyed Loki. Anytime Loki and Sylvie were interacting with each other, I thought it was just good TV in any sense um would you say it was was it your favorite of the three marvel shows on disney plus so far because i definitely think it's a, it's between it and wandavision um not to crap on falcon and the winter soldier it's just that show was fine but it's just like yay more super soldier saga stuff for instance yeah. the ones they're fighting where it's like wandavision um wandavision oh uh the Scarlet Witch might be the most powerful being in the universe, or Loki, like, literally everything you understood about the Marvel universe is different now, at least the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Um, and like, you know, like I mean, there was such a great scene in the first episode where it shows him going through the TVA, and he sees the, like, multiple Infinity Stones just sitting down on the desk, mm-hmm. and he's yeah. so, like, yeah, those are paperweights, like, understanding yep. that they're a completely different level of, like, playing here, so it was just, like, it was a different kind of thing,
1: but yeah, would you say you prefer Loki or WandaVision? Yeah, I, I thought Loki was better. Um WandaVision was very cool, especially the middle portion of the season. Um aside I I thought it was very inventive what they what they did, but it was it started out slow and then the finale was kind of uh, I've seen this like 100 different versions of this this is really the direction you wanted to go with it um but yeah the middle was very cool and the, and the twist with uh, agatha was well done um so I, I definitely enjoyed that a lot um but I, I think loki was from start to finish just excellently done I, I didn't think there were any down periods in the show um and just had a ton of guest stars come in and just do a great job um and it it was entertaining in itself while also setting up, like, hey, the Marvel multiverse is coming. And it, the fact that it was able to, you know, set the next stage of the, the phase of the MCU while, while still being an incredibly well done and entertaining sh- series in itself. Um, I thought that was, they did a great job of that. Were you surprised they introduced
0: Kang as early as this in a Disney Plus show that not everyone is going to see? <laughs> And also, like, basically, have this Disney Plus show. Like, it's not, it's not just introducing the next big villain, but it's also like the whole instigating event where Sylvie kills the one king, and then you get now, obviously, see like the timeline like, branching. Multi- yeah, a whole yeah.
1: multiverse to deal with. Yeah, uh, I mean, I wasn't surprised just because you read all the recaps of yeah. episodes and stuff, and everything seemed to be pointing to it, um, and you knew that he was he'd already been cast for. Um, the Ant Man, yeah, I did It's like,
0: yo, what is Ant Man gonna do against this guy? Yeah, um,
1: that's exactly. gonna get really small. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I yeah, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I guess it could have been like somebody else was behind it all, and then he showed up as like a post credit thing. But um, if you got a guy like like Jonathan Majors, like why not use him for a full episode if 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 you can? So. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I was surprised. Um, I, I was quite happy that we got to to, to see him. Yep, uh, it's a good show in general, and I think that's going
0: to wrap it up for us today. Now, thank thank you if you enjoyed that last like five to ten minute segment on a on a Marvel show, which I just thought was worth it. But uh, um yeah, thank you all so much for listening today. Uh, we'll be back again next week uh, with I'm trying to think how the schedule plays out. I'm pretty sure the NBA champion will be decided by then. Uh, either the Milwaukee Bucks or the Phoenix Suns. We'll be getting closer to the NBA draft with the Sixers. And also, if you're subscribed to the Liberty Ballers podcast feed, you can catch my new show, the, the Sixers draft show coming out a few times each week. We just had a good episode drop today as we were recording about Kessler Edwards with I recorded the draft Twitter legend himself, PD Webb. If you want to check that out, and we have more episodes coming out. Um
1: and yeah, thank you all for listening today uh so game seven would actually be next thursday night so <sighs> depend depending when we record uh if there is we, a
0: game seven we should do it
1: right after but that's it or friday morning yeah we can do that um for sure but yeah everybody check out dan's new uh new draft pod um as he he branches out in the liberty ballers podcast podcast network um i'm I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I, I, I have it queued up and, uh, I'm everyone else out there should definitely listen in. Um, and, uh, next week we'll probably, we'll probably just talk about alligator Loki for the whole, the whole hour. Oh yeah. whole for 50 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) I think that's what we'll do. Um, all right. Him him and
0: Mikhail Bridges.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who, who would win in a one-on-one game, alligator Loki and or Mikhail Bridges and he would have to protect his hand and not get it bitten off. Um, (laughs) so that that'll be next episode but uh yeah until next week everybody enjoy the finals and uh, we'll talk to you soon